Well, morning, Merry Christmas. What a blessing it has been. Uh, I just want to thank uh, Dave as he, as he spearheads this every year uh, for organizing this, putting it on. All of those that have participated, everybody that does stuff behind the scenes that we don't see up front. Uh, for all of the parents that got here early to drop your kids off over the last couple of weeks so we could hear them sing. Uh, just thank you to, to everybody that's, that's been a part of this. As we take time to hear God's word today, I just want to prepare you that we're going to hear three different uh, ideas. Uh, and these ideas may not seem like they fit together. They may seem kind of random. Uh, but by the end of it, I'm going to pull them all together into a nice little neat bow for you. But we're going to talk about Roman patronage. We're going to talk about the 10 lepers, and then we're going to talk about the Christmas season. So Christ was born during a time of transition. The Roman Republic was moving to the Roman Empire, and so a lot of the scripture that we have has a lot of context embedded about the Roman culture. And one of the, the large parts of Rome's societal framework was its idea of patronage. And Rome was formed into two social classes. You had the patricians and you had the plebeians, the, the upper class and the lower class, the rich and the poor. And the system of patronage was really a way for both sides to work together for some sort of gain, if you will. Uh, the patrician or the rich, he would provide uh, for, for the, he would be the patron and he would provide for his client, uh, mostly in the form of money and food, and exchange the plebeian, the poor, the lower class, the client uh, would offer his loyalty and his services to his patron in return of that. Uh, and for the patron, this was extremely important because what it allowed them to do was create a power base. And that power extended to political power, military power, economic, social, even religious power that these patrons, uh, these patricians could, could garnish and gain. And, and it allowed them to grow this network of people that would support them as they continued in this process. And this system of patronage, this network, could actually be passed down through hereditary. So, so a, a grandson could be the client of his father's patron and his grandfather's patron. Um, and the way that this worked was typically every morning, uh, a patron was to meet uh, his clients at his house. So his clients were expected to show up and greet him in the morning. And depending upon the day, the client may actually follow the patron around. And especially if there was an important political or official meeting that the patron was going to, the client would go and kind of observe and watch and sit in the stands, if you would. And whenever his patron would say something, it was the job of the client to applaud his patron's idea, even if he actually didn't agree with it. And at times uh, when there was a vote for an official or a law, the patron would pretty much tell the client how they were supposed to vote. And the client would get his family and friends to vote in the way that his, his patron wanted. Sometimes in the world of art, a patron might supply money to a client uh, to craft the, some sort of artwork. And when he was done, 
he'd make a big presentation and pretty much dedicate uh, his piece of artwork uh, or honor his artwork in the name of his patron to continue to give that patron some notoriety. Uh, if someone was having a lavish wedding and the patron wanted to get in with that family, he would oftentimes go to his clients and say, hey, look, I'm gonna provide a very, very lavish gift. I need you to help financially contribute to that. Or in some cases, if someone important got captured and they were looking to ransom this person back, the patron again wanted to get in on this to, to get himself some good standing, but would go to his clients and basically say, I need you to reach into your little pockets and give whatever you can to be able to help provide the ransom money that we need. And a patron's network could be vast. He could have multiple clients, especially if he was extremely wealthy. And those clients themselves could actually be patrons as well. So a person could both be a patron and a client at the same time. And a person could be so influential that they could actually be a patron over an entire town or even set up a client king. And that's actually what happened with King Herod. So King Herod was the king of Jerusalem when Jesus was born. And the reason he got into that position was because he got in good with Rome. The, the Romans actually came to King Herod and basically said, we want you to be king of Jerusalem, but you're going to be our client king. You're going to do what it is that we want. And in particular, it was Mark Antony was the one that actually pushed uh, Herod forward in the eyes of the other Romans. And so again, for the patron, it allowed them to control all kinds of governmental, all kinds of economic, political, financial decisions that allowed them to maintain power in this system. It gave them prestige and clout, and it allowed them to climb up the social ladder of ancient Rome. And again, why would a client do this? Because for them, again, what did we say? They're going to get food. They're going to get money. And if there was ever a legal issue, they knew that they had someone of prominence to stand behind them to support them. So, so for the lower class, it gave them a chance to survive. It gave them a chance to just live a life that they possibly could have just hoped the best for in that circumstance. So in the end, patronage again was a system of loyalty and expectations where both sides gained what they wanted. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, you can open up to Luke chapter 17. I want to read from the scriptures here about these 10 lepers. Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 11. It said, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, go. Show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? 
Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. So a leper was one with a contagious skin disease. And the book of Leviticus, Leviticus 13, actually tells us what was the proper process and procedure for handling somebody with a skin disease. Uh, and typically, if they were found to have a skin disease, they, they were to go and wash themselves, they were to wash their clothes, and in some circumstances, to even cut off their hair or cut off their beard. And after a certain amount of time, they would come back and show themselves to the priests. And the priest would examine them, and if they were found to be without disease, they were declared clean. If they weren't, they were told to go back again and repeat the same process and essentially said, come back in a week and we'll do this again. Now, while they were in that process, though, a leper, somebody with a skin disease, couldn't remain in the community. They had to go outside the camp. They had to go outside the cities and basically isolate themselves. And if anybody came near them, they'd have to yell out, unclean, unclean. And it was a warning to everyone else that I am contagious and I don't want you to get what I might get. And so we have this story where you have 10 lepers who seek to be cleansed. And they see Jesus and they cry out to him, have pity on us. And in some translations it says, have mercy, Jesus. Please heal our disease-ridden bodies. And Jesus says, go, go show yourself to the priest. And they go and they show up and the priest examines. And he said, you're clean. But the key part of the story is that out of 10 of them, only one of them came back to see Jesus. And it's interesting that it's a Samaritan. If you don't know the context that uh, when the kingdom split, the northern kingdom of Israel was taken over by the Assyrians and some of them were left. And the ones that were left pretty much uh, engaged and interacted with the, with the Assyrians. And so you, you had kind of this, this half-blood, this mutt, if you will, of a person that was both Jewish and Assyrian. And the Jews that lived in Jerusalem wanted no parts of the Samaritans. They were despised because, again, they weren't seen as true and full Jews. And so it's interesting that of all of them, it's the Samaritan that comes back and he throws himself at the feet of Jesus and he worships him. And so Jesus' response is, that's great, but where is the other nine? I'm confused. Out of ten, only one of you came back? No one else wanted to give praise for what I did to them? And I think Jesus' question is spot on. I mean, you had ten people. Ten people that society avoided. You had ten people that no one would have wanted as their client. There's not a single person that would have taken them in as a client if I was a, if I was a patron. They would have done nothing 
to further my social standing. Quite frankly, if I would have had a leper in my presence, that would have actually hindered my social mobility. So I would have kept my distance as far away as possible. They were the unwanted of society. They were the social pariahs of life. And what does Jesus do? Jesus heals them. Jesus gives them something that they'd been craving for a very long time. The ability to be back in society. The ability to be back around their friends and family. To live as part of community once again. And in return, what did they give Jesus? Nothing. Except the one. The one client of Jesus comes back and he shows Jesus his loyalty for what he had done. And what does Jesus say to this one? He says, go, your faith has made you well. And if we translate that to what it actually means, it says, go, your faith has saved you. See, here's the thing. Jesus physically healed the ten. But he offered so much more to these individuals. He offered a holistic healing. He gave a spiritual healing to the one who recognized and worshipped him. You know, he, he offered an eternal option to all ten of them. He said, I'm giving you all something far beyond just being cleansed of your physical disease. I'm giving you a spiritual healing of your soul. But only one came back to take advantage of what mattered most. Only one came back to recognize Jesus as his savior. So how are these two fitting into the Christmas season. Roman patronage, 10 lepers, I, how do they mesh? How do they mesh with this time of year? Well, at Christmas, we get all kinds of gifts, don't we? We get stocking stuffers. We get gifts that we really wanted, you know, the one that we put at the top of the wish list with a big star next to it. We get the surprise gifts, the gifts that we, we never thought about. And we're like, man, what an amazing gift. And sometimes we get the gift of the, you really shouldn't have. Right? But if we've ever watched children open gifts, it's like a feeding frenzy, isn't it? They get the gift and they just tear into it and, and they just rip all the wrapping paper apart and they open it up and they go, wow. And then they throw it aside and they go, where's the next one? Right? Isn't that what happens a lot? Well, every year we celebrate the coming of our Savior. And the reason why is because we know the gift that is about to be given to, to all of his people, to the world when he goes to the cross. We know the gift that's going to be given that we will have the forgiveness of our sins that we don't deserve. And instead of taking the time to really relish and cherish that every Christmas season, Christmas becomes a consumption for us. Christmas becomes an act of ingratitude. 
We, we become like the lepers. We're happy for the gift, but we're neglectful of the worship. See, in the process of gift giving, you have two sides, right? You have the gift giver. And many times for the gift giver, it's one of excitement, it's joy. I just know they're going to love it. I can't wait for them to open this. They're going to be so excited. And the getting of that gift, it takes thought. It, it, it takes meaning. It takes time and energy. And for many people, getting a gift can be a sacrifice. Because I have to go out of my way. I have to work to get the money. I have to take the time to wrap it as I thought about it. To be able to give it to you. And the giver just is so excited. I can't wait to see their face. And on the opposite end, you have the receiver of that gift. And too often times, the receiver makes the gift giving a conveyor belt. Where they're looking down the end of the line to just see how many different presents are going to come across in front of them. And so they open it, they put it aside, and they open it, and they put it aside, and the belt stops, and the gifts stop coming. And then there's disappointment. Because, you know, no matter how many gifts we get, as sinful human beings, we're never satisfied. And so what do we do on our end? We completely disregard any meaning and sacrifice on the part of the giver. So as we prepare to sit down tomorrow, as many of you will sit around with family and friends and you will share and you will exchange gifts, here's what I want you to do. I want you to cherish every moment that you have with family and friends. And I want you to open those gifts with excitement. Because there is something special about sitting around with each other and, and, and being blessed by the generosity of someone else. And I want you to open a gift and I want you to be excited and happy about it. And I want you to say to the giver, thank you. And I want you to shower them with hugs and kisses. And I want you to, to think about how much it meant for them to give that to you. But more importantly, as you go through your day tomorrow, that every time you open a gift and you say thank you to the giver, I want you to remember the Savior on the cross. I want you to remember the ultimate sacrifice of what Christ did. Because see, Christ, out of his great love, sacrificed his life for ours. Because he wanted to forgive us. Because he wanted to be back in relationship with his children who had wandered away and rebelled from him. And he said, I love you so much to let you see you keep wandering into a path of death and destruction. And so this Christmas, I want us to remember what Christ has been owed. Christ is our patron, and we are his clients. And he gave us his life, 
And in return, what does he expect? He expects our hearts. He expects our praise and worship to him. And you know what? He deserves that because Christ didn't have to die, but he chose to die for us. And understand that when Jesus healed the lepers, when Jesus went to the cross, he healed us. He didn't heal us for just the here and now. He healed us for an eternity. And guys, this Christmas, there is no better gift that you will get than one that will last a lifetime. So let's pray. Father, we praise you. We praise you because, Lord, you, you reached out to us and you said, here's a gift. It's a gift like no other. And it's a gift that came at the expense of my blood. And Lord, we thank you that we can freely receive that. There's nothing that we have to do. We don't have to work. We don't have to earn. And all you've asked is for our hearts to love and worship and praise you. So God, we praise you. We've been praising you all morning. We will praise you some more. And God, we will continue to praise you this season and forevermore. Father, I praise you that you took a wretched sinner like me and said, I can be your client child. And one day I will sit in the throne room with you and praise you with every man and woman from every nation, language and tribe that exists around this world and for all of eternity to make one joyous song together that screams out to you, Lord, we love you. Amen.